Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hey everyone, uh, I'm Phil Bliss. Welcome to Canada's podcast. I'm a business visionary and I'm coming to you today from Toronto. At Canada's podcast, we talk to entrepreneurs who are making it happen across Canada. So today we're with Vanessa Larucci, who's a CPA and a CA. Vanessa is an authentic and energetic leader who's known for her passion for education and innovation, which she brings to her current role as CEO and co-owner of BrainPower. So Vanessa, welcome to Canada's podcast. Really nice to meet you. Um, as I normally do, what I'm going to ask you in, you know, in, in three, three to five minutes is tell us more about your entrepreneurial journey, why you started it, and where it is today, and maybe, without giving it anything away, what its future might be, basically. Sure. Uh, I'm not sure about that last one, but I, I can give it a shot. <laughs> Uh, sure. So, you, you know, like most entrepreneurs, I, I didn't necessarily jump right into entrepreneurship as, as a young person out of school. I had a much more traditional path. I was a chartered accountant. I spent almost two decades uh, at a large consulting firm and a large bank. So about as conservative and structured as you can get. I always did, though, have um, itch to scratch as it related to building new things. So even within those jobs, uh, I was the person that always wanted to put my hand up to start something new, try something different, you know, maybe take a risk on a new division or geography or product. And, you know, I realized I really liked the opportunity to set a vision and, and then a path to achieve that vision and uh, started exploring a few entrepreneurial opportunities, you know, in the startup world, at probably around 2015-2016. And then opportunistically, one of my former clients from my M&A days approached me um, because the business we sold at the time, I was an apparel business, Uh, we had sold it in 2008, I was the advisor Uh, the buyer had run into some troubles. So the original founding family wanted to reacquire the business, but wanted a turnaround CEO. And so I thought this is a great way to actually finally just jump in. And so I left Bay Street and, um, you know, took on the sort of wild task of turning around an insolvent uniform company, which isn't, you know, it wasn't tech, it wasn't, you know, an exponential growth industry, but certainly over the five years that I was um, leading that turnaround, I learned a heck of a lot. I realized I really loved running a business, motivating people, all that good stuff. And so uh, when that exit was complete in June, I knew right away that I wanted to find my next venture. And uh, again, and I mean, this is life, perhaps I'm really lucky. I, uh, through my personal network, uh, was introduced to the search fund structure, uh, which is a funding structure available to entrepreneurs interested in acquiring and running businesses, but also being meaningful co-owners. So I had a few conversations with Sage Capital, um, Glenn Silvestri, and he agreed to do a search and, and support me on an acquisition. 
to be honest, normally this type of process takes one or two years. And um, I have to say we were fairly fortunate because within six months we had sourced and negotiated and closed the acquisition of brain power enrichment programs, which unlike my last acquisition was in a sector that I was really excited about that being education. Okay. Okay. So those are the brass tacks <laughs> of the story. No, you, you had financing in there and yeah. position and things like that. And, you know, I think everyone needs some kind of financing to start a company, whether it's self-funded, whether it's right. whatever. And you have a lot of knowledge on that, in that area. Um, you know, I guess one of the things is, what would you say are the key elements for attracting and winning the confidence of investors? That's a great question. I was, I was um, really fascinated, actually, by my experience as the person raising the capital. Versus right. the person advising the person raising the capital. Yeah, yeah. I would say, you know, as an advisor, you know, you certainly craft a story, you have a model, you know, there's all those things you need to have done, right? Uh, a business case, uh, a really sound vision of where is this business going and what are the unit economics and what's it all going to look like? And, you know, those are all the technical things. But I would say when when you're dealing with private investors and they're writing a check, I found what they were most interested in is actually getting to know me. Who am I? What makes me tick? Am I going to be able to deal with the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur? Have I faced hardship? You know, am I going to be able to pick myself up when things go sideways? Those are the sort of qualitative mm -hmm. questions that investors may not have asked directly, but certainly in our conversations, those were the things they were probing for. Um, you know, can you, are you actually going to be able to stand up and get this done knowing it's going to be pretty hard? So is it, is it, is it, you know, is it less about the pitch deck and more about the, the, the people? I, I thought so. Yes. And that's a very different answer than I would have given as an advisor, right? Where I was, mm. uh, you know, I would have thought it's all about the pitch deck and the story. And that's certainly table stakes you need to have that so if you don't have that forget it yeah but if you have that and you cannot connect with an investor and win their confidence mm -hmm. you're probably not going to be able to raise capital and and there's all kinds of things that play into winning an investor's confidence it's not just the numbers in the story it's it's about who you are and you know you get into a relationship with investors you're in a relationship for five six years like you really like you actually want to like the people you want to be able to have a coffee with them and, mm -hmm. and, you know, have effective board meetings and generally know that it's a good human sitting across from you at, at the table because you're partners. Yeah. So, you know, you've got kids. You I know. do. Yeah. What does a typical day look like for you? You know, you're high power running a business on and on, co-owner of it. You know, how do you maintain the kind of focus that you you, you got to have that kind of focus to succeed, you know, and and also have fun in the business as well, you know? Yeah, it's, I'm not going to lie, it's hard. And, you know, my son is 15 now. And I have to be honest that this would have been much harder if if he was back in his toddler days. 
Uh, he's fairly independent, but I would say I do try to make him part of the journey. And what I mean by that is the one thing about being a CEO and business owner is you do have flexibility in how and when you get your work done. And so it's not unusual for me to bring my son to work to help me with something. Uh, this summer, we did a lot of outdoor marketing activities and he was my right hand. And so I would say that my days are really long, especially given that brain power runs after school and weekend enrichment programs. There's really no off switch because I'm doing all the stuff you need to do to run the business during the day. And then all sorts of things happen evenings and weekends that need my attention. And so it is always on for sure. Um, but I've, I've tried to integrate him into that and take the approach that it's a really unique experience for a teenager to uh, be part of the, you know, inner circle of this business. I, I certainly didn't have that kind of exposure or experience when I was a teenager. So. so as an entrepreneur, you've basically turned around one business and bought into and a growing another business which is a little right you know a little you you weren't the founder in in each right right but but that's a fairly common way into entrepreneurships especially you know for someone that, that you said got got a got a had a solid career beforehand right and i mean what's the most important items because you you're you know you're on your second journey on, on this kind of thing. What's the, what's the most important items? I mean, what do you do when you go into these things and say, okay, I've got to do, you look and you say this, 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 the, those top three or four things. Yeah, I think. well, I think the most important thing for someone like me in my shoes stepping into a founder or family-led business is you really don't know anything on day one. I might have all kinds of credentials and experience, but in, a business is a living, breathing organism. And I think the most important thing for a new CEO or new co-owner to do is really to observe and listen, to understand what is it, what is the magic of this business? What has made it successful? What makes the people tick? And I can share, you know, in my first venture, which was manufacturing and retail, um, completely different employee profile than my current team where folks are PhD academics. And so I could, I probably couldn't get two more opposite groups yeah, of people to leave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, really observing and understanding, because if I had taken the playbook from the bank and applied it to McCarthy uniforms, I would have failed. And if I'd taken my playbook from McCarthy uniforms and applied it at brainpower, I would, I would be failing right now. And so I generally take the approach to zip it and really observe, listen, um, win the confidence of the team for the first four to six months, and then make them part of the revisioning exercise to say, I think the first six months of a CEO transition is a little bit like flying a stunt plane. You know, you got this transition, you're moving from this, you know, family style of management, which is unique to a family's goals and preferences. It, it might not always be aligned with what a PE backed growth business would do. Mm -hmm. So you have to change all that. And, you know, you first have to make sure that the baton is passed and, and you can actually run with it because there is a risk 
if you start running too fast on day two, you can blow the whole thing up. And, and this happens all the time with, with trend. I see it, you know, when I worked in m and I just saw this all the time, my goodness. Um, so, and, and I think that's a hard thing because the type of person who wants to do a growth PE back CEO gig mm-hmm. probably also isn't the most patient person, myself being one of them. And so it takes a lot of discipline to zip it and say, I'm just going to, I'm going to watch to see how this plays out. Cause I really need to understand the process and what's going on here before I change it. So, you know, you had a really good career. I mean, I read, I read through your LinkedIn and stuff like that. Had an excellent career. Are you like, are entrepreneurs, are we weird? Are we wired? I, I think so. I do. Yeah. I, I often say, gosh, my life and my family's life would be so much easier. You know, if I had stayed at PwC and, you know, I probably would have been a partner by now. You know, I would have been 25 years in. I would have had a decent pension. You know, same thing with the bank. And um, yeah, I think that there is something about the intrinsic um, motivation of building a business and mm-hmm. taking a risk that that drives entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and that that drive drowns out all other logical reasoning because <laughs> it is very high risk and it's hard. Um, you know, it's really hard. It's not, I was sharing a story with one of my friends who's thinking of doing a search and, you know, last week on Thursday night, I was on a panel at the Rotman school and I woke up to all these lovely emails about, wow, second time CEO, this is so inspirational. And then I went to work and no one had taken the garbage out. So there was like mess all over the floor. There was, you know, just a disaster. And I, you know, I had to, uh, wash the floor take out the garbage and because it was a holiday in the building I had to put the garbage in my car and drive the garbage to my house and that was my morning and so um, those are the highs and lows when you're running a mid-market business and that's the reality if you, if you don't want to stand at a booth or take out the garbage this isn't for you if you could go back in time as you know what advice would you give yourself maybe you know 15 years ago Probably to trust my instinct a bit more, mm-hmm. because if I trace back, I, I was almost going to start a business or almost going to join a startup mm-hmm. so many times in my 20s and early 30s. And, you know, it was the advice of friends and family regarding you spent so much time building your career, you make good money, you know, don't be insane. And, and, you know, I took their advice and it was good advice. And as a result, I, I have a decent safety net. So that's good. But the desire to do this didn't go away. And so I wish I had just trusted in myself a little more. Because when I did finally take the leap and, and started spending a lot more time with entrepreneurs, you start realizing, well, I'm really investing in myself when I'm an entrepreneur and, and taking a bet on myself, which I should be comfortable to do. Um, so yeah, just I would just have listened to myself a little more rather than well, all the, the voices around me. Speaking of advice, you know, mentors are so darn important uh, in our lives. You know, what's that? What's the best piece of advice that you've received? The kind of the, the kind of piece that you you know you carry around with you. You never it's you know it's always there. You, you know you can ref, 
somehow or other, at least I have two or three things that I that I have that I, you know, are constants. Yeah, I mean, one one piece of advice regarding running a private business, I would say I've heard this from lots of entrepreneurs, not just one, is leave your ego at the door, for sure. And when you're the CEO of a smaller business, you're not the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. So you have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and really communicate and connect with people on various different levels. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's so important. Business is all about people. So leave your ego at the doors is for sure one that's important. And one that strangely many, many CEOs miss, especially coming from corporate where you're coming from a world where there was you know, someone that picked out a piece of art for your office and you had an assistant and someone that gave you your schedule every day. Like none of that exists in, in, in the world of small private businesses. So um, that's, that's very, very important, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the other piece of advice I got uh, from an entrepreneur many years ago just was this concept that, you know, you're always going to be juggling many, many things as an entrepreneur, but know which of the balls you're juggling are glass and which are rubber. Because the reality is you're going to drop some balls running a business. There's just too many things constantly going on. And if you focus on the rubber balls instead of the glass ones, you know, obviously follow the metaphor. It's not a good outcome. (laughs) Yeah. And so sometimes I say to myself, you know, that's a rubber ball. You know, my website, it it needs a bit of updating in one of these sections that really no one looks at. That's a rubber ball. It shouldn't be on the first thing on my to-do list. You know, the parent that emailed me this morning with a, you know, a concern, that's a glass ball. You know, if I've set her, she can withdraw. She can leave a bad Google review. She can tell all her friends. And so, you know, that's what I'm going to focus on versus this other less important thing. And um, that skill, I don't know what that's called. It's ju- it's a form of juggling, but, you know, you're constantly juggling and reprioritizing. So I had a to-do list for today and I'd say 50% of it's already been resequenced based on just reprioritizing as long as there's a rubber ball that keeps bouncing back to you (laughs) yeah i just you you got me going there yeah you know so you you, you've lived the corporate life and you're living the entrepreneurial life what's the best thing about being an entrepreneur versus being (sighs) a corporate person or are they the same really i don't mean yeah yeah no i mean I think this is very personal. Yeah. So for, for me, the, you know, pe- people are driven by different things. I'm really motivated by the idea that I can set like a creative vision and target and go after it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not afraid of the hard work to get there. And I'm not afraid of, uh, you know, planting a flag in the ground that I want to hit a goal. And so that's very motivating for me the ability to set my course. That's also very scary and not at all what corporate life is because the definition of corporate life is you're literally following someone else's course. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's one of the differentiators of entrepreneurial life. But for me, that's very rewarding, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to, I was working on my strategic plan on the weekend, you know, I had my coffee and I was like, maybe I should take the business this way. Maybe I should take it that way. And I just, I felt happy doing that. Whereas someone else that, that, could cause them a lot of stress. I've certainly seen it in team members. You know, there's there's people on my team that much prefer, you know, 
here's where we're going and here are the things you have to do. And I'll just measure you on these tasks versus blue sky. Where do you think we should go? That's, that's a scary question for a lot of people. What, what, what book are you reading now or, or listening to, or, you know, what podcasts do you, of course you listen to Candice Cam, podcast. <laughs> yes. This is a great podcast. What, what podcasts <laughs> do you, do, do, yeah, we all, we all do read listen to books, listen to podcasts. I mean, that's if you're that kind of person, that's what you do. Um, uh, what, what, what have you listened to, read recently that's, that's impacted you? Yeah, so I'm in a phase where, um, and I think this is, um, given where I'm at and I'm six months into this venture, I would say NPR, how I built this. It is a podcast where uh, Guy Raz interviews entrepreneurs about their journey from startup to scale up. Mm-hmm. And I find that like a very comforting and rewarding podcast to listen to because A, you got lots of good advice, but B, you sort of, you know, find comfort in knowing their ups and downs. And none of these great businesses, you know, I was just listening to the NPR podcast about SoulCycle and some of the ups and downs in that business, which had some parallels to my current business. It's a service business, big market, um, you know, differentiating based on a premium experience. And and listening to that, like I got so many good ideas, but I also just felt like, okay, it's supposed to go like this. There's supposed to be good days and bad days. So uh, I love that podcast. Uh, I also love Masters of Scale by Reid Hoffman. Same reason. I think it's because it's so relevant to where I'm at right now. And so those are two of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am trying to read right now outside of business interests. And so um, because I'm running a a, a business, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. 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 You know, if you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would it be? Restless. Restless? Yeah. (laughs) That's a new one. (laughs) oh gosh i had to uh i had to write i had to write an article for um about brain power and i had to the reason i answered so quickly is i had to pick a word to describe myself and i think i picked yeah i did pick restless and and yeah and i think that that's part of the the nature of you know people that are doing the kind of thing i'm doing right now i mean i closed a great exit in june i had nothing but a summer of sunshine to contemplate last June. And instead I did this crazy thing again of uh, going and raising capital and buying a scale up that was even smaller than my, my first business. So, you know, the smaller, the starting point, the messier, the scaling process for sure. Even though that first business was insolvent and that had its own challenges, it it had a little more scale. Like it had a team, it has finance department. Like I'm sort of in the, in the build mode, right, right from the get-go on this one. Are you a morning or a night person? I ask everybody that. <laughs> I'm sadly for my current life, I'm a morning person. Um, and so my business is a night business. So that's been interesting. That's made me a little tired, I'll admit. Yeah. And I'm just adjusting to how do I set boundaries and 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 actually accept that I'm just never going to be fully functioning really late at night. So I need to have a team that compensates for that. Yeah. Yeah. And um... yeah. What kind of job would you not like to do? Obviously, you enjoy being <laughs> an elite 
Funnel, the funny answer, uh, seeing as I'm an accountant, but I really didn't like being an accountant. So I can say with great confidence that, <laughs> that when I was an auditor, you know, and, and gosh, this is the value of really exploring what you study in school, because I mean, I spent all this time and stress getting through the accounting exams and getting my designation. And, and anyone who's been through it can tell you, like, it's, you really have to go through the ringer. And we started auditing. And I, I remember thinking, oh, I really don't like this. Like, I hate it. Uh, it's monotonous. It's very detail oriented. It's rigid. And those are all the things that don't bring me any kind of joy at all. You know, what you mean, you're, you're fairly new into this business. Mm-hmm. What, what are you most excited about? in the business, the, you know, for over the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah, so good question. I, I think this is the first time I am so excited about the impact we create at BrainPower. We are um, connecting these amazing, brilliant faculty with high potential kids. And when you facilitate that connection, it's so fantastic to see the outcome like these kids are just they just blow my mind and being part of that and seeing that that is the outcome of my work is so rewarding and not that other businesses I worked with weren't rewarding but this one's particularly purpose-driven and so I, I think I've like hit the balance of you know doing work that I really love and I'm passionate about and it's also a great business because it's a huge market and Gosh, there's there's so much demand. I mean, every child in the world could could use more education, really, and that that's a pretty darn big market. It's uh, I, I'm just looking. My, yeah. my thirty minutes is off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, how can people get a hold of you if there's anything they want to to, to talk to you about? To sure. Uh, with- well, it's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at Brain Power Enrichment Programs. Um, my email is Vanessa V A N E S S A at brainpower.ca. Mm-hmm. That's pretty easy. You can also check out our website, Brain Power or uh, brainpower.ca or our Instagram handle, same name. And um, we have programs for kids ranging grade one to grade twelve, and some pretty exciting summer and seasonal programs as well in addition to our core annual programs. So for anyone listening that is looking for enrichment programming, visit us at BrainPower, or if you just want some advice, uh, I'm also uh, a fairly active mentor in the entrepreneurial community, not just to mentor other people, because I learn just as much from these conversations myself. Thank you. Fantastic meeting you. Yeah. Vanessa, thanks again. It's been great meeting you.